A couple of things before we begin this morning. Apparently, um, our prayer... So the incorrect prayer list got printed from last week, I suppose, although there's some similarities on it. So maybe before you leave today, we'll have the correct prayer list <laughs> printed. And number two, of all those of his with today, I would not want to overlook Sister Caroline Chambers back here, same with Brother Riley, and uh, she has been a friend of mine and her family for many years. So happy to have her here with Brother Riley. This morning, I want to take a look at a question found in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Peter says, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, I'm going to do something a little out of the ordinary for me, but I'm going to back up and I'm going to look at a number of verses here to get the picture and the context in which this question is asked. So I'm going to walk you through it, verse by verse here, beginning back actually in about verse uh, 3. The Apostle Peter says, in the last days, knowing this first that shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust. A scoffer is a mocker. He's a false teacher. And they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? Apparently, they had heard that the Lord had promised to come again. And they said, well, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And that's not true. And Peter says, for this they willingly are ignorant of. Not only were they ignorant of this, but they were willingly ignorant of this because they had access to the scriptures. It's one thing to be ignorant, it's another thing to be willingly ignorant. For this they were willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, though heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, that's the antediluvian world prior to the flood, being overflowed with water perished, which is the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, this is the third reference that Peter has made to Noah's flood. He writes about it in 1 Peter. He writes about it twice in 2 Peter. He brings this up to show that these scoffers are in error. And that they're willingly ignorant of something that took place and is recorded for us in detail in the book of Genesis. He says, but beloved, we'll back up to verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now since the flood, by the same word. Now God spoke this world into existence by the power of his word. And by the word of his power, he has kept them in existence. He says, that, but they are reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He introduces the subject of fire here that's going to be used by God to bring all things to an end at what's referred to in the Bible as the last day. But beloved, now it's the second time in this chapter Peter has addressed this message to the beloved. This is important. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. He says, now don't be ignorant of this. They, the scoffers are willingly ignorant. Here's something you do not to be ignorant of. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Peter's saying God doesn't operate on a time scale. He doesn't operate on time. He's above time, apart from time. He's not like we're timely creatures. We, we operate 
uh, you know, in time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Peter does not deny that the Lord made a promise. In fact, he reinforces it. But he says God's not slack concerning his promise. He made a promise, he'll carry it out. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, very important phrase, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This verse is oftentimes taken out of the context in which I'm reading unto you as a verse that's presented to show that God would have all mankind, all of humanity, not to perish but come to repentance. Notice the expression, usward. Who is usward? He's already used the word beloved twice. The usward are those who Peter is writing to. He wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter says, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the stranger scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. Elect. There we are. That's the usward. Elect. According to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit, set apart by the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. That's who he's writing about. He does not say here that the Lord is long-suffering to all mankind. That's how it's presented. That's not what it says. He's long-suffering to us-word, someone particular that's under consideration not willing that any should perish. Now, if God's not willing that any of us should perish, guess what? None is going to perish, right? If he's not willing that any should perish, they're not going to perish. But in Psalms 110, verse 3, David says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. God has a people. And when will they be willing? They'll be willing in the day of the power of God. God is not willing that any should perish, therefore they shall not perish. Not a child of God, not a child of grace, not an object of God's love, not one of children, a member of his family is going to perish. But all should come to repentance. Now what kind of repentance are we talking about here? Don't we think about repentance, we're talking about somebody maybe who's done a 180 in something. Maybe a man has been given to alcohol and he drinks and he gets drunk and he very seldom ever seen to be sober. But then by the grace of God, one day he quits drinking. And he's not, he doesn't get drunk anymore. He's quit drinking. And he's turned his life around. That, that's repentance. He's, he's done a 180, okay? But there's a, another sense of repentance under consideration here. Before a child of God is born of the Spirit of God, they are carnal-minded, and they just drink up, sin and iniquity like a horse drinks up water okay but it's only after they've been born of the spirit of God that they're given a consciousness of sin only then I've told you many times I can preach to you about sin identify sin tell you what sin is the effects of sin the impact of sin but if you haven't been born of the spirit of God it's just words only God can teach you in your heart that you're a sinner and when you're born of the Spirit of God, God's divine nature is planted inside of you and is in opposition to your carnal mind and your stony heart. And God takes that stony heart out and gives you a heart of flesh in the work of the new birth, but you still got the human nature. Now you've got a battle, now you've got a conflict, but you can't sin now like you used to and enjoy it like you used to. God will not allow it. You will feel condemnation. 
you will feel chastisement. If you sin and do not feel chastisement, you don't have any evidence that you're born of the Spirit of God, God's child. Chastisement is an evidence that you belong to the family of God. Chastisement is a blessing. And so there will be a condemnation and a chastisement will take place that will cause you to make a turn. It will cause you to change things in your life. It will cause you to be in a process of repentance, in other words. And the Word of God, the Scriptures, will help you in that, teaching you, like in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. The grace of God that operates in your heart teaches you that. The Word of God teaches us that. But God's grace, His Spirit, will teach you that experientially, inwardly. And so, God's not willing that any should perish, and they will not perish, but all should come to repentance. Some people lose sight of the fact that the family of God is made up of children of God, children rather, of His, that have lived just for different durations of time. Many of God's people will never see the light of day. Babies who are, their lives that are taken in abortion, God will see to it that not any of them shall perish. I can assure you that. Now, they, they uh, are not saved because of innocence, because there's no such thing as infantile purity or uh, innocence in anybody of any age, whether it be three months old, six months old, three years old, whatever. We all have a sinful human nature, you understand. And there are those who pass away at an early, early age, stillborn uh, deaths. And people who die at three and four and five who've never heard the gospel in Jesus Christ, who've never read the word of God, who don't understand what the word repentance means to begin with. But God's people, when they're born of that spirit once again, uh, they now have an experience of grace that teaches them inwardly what's right and what's wrong and they cannot conduct themselves as they once did, there will be a gradual turn and a change from that style of living, that style of life, to a different kind of life, whether they ever read the word of God or not. So God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now notice, when the Lord comes, be like a thief in the night. Now, uh, if a thief plans on robbing your house, I can tell you right now, he's not going to call you ahead of time. He's not going to leave a note on your door and say, I will be robbing your house at 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to rob your house at 4 o'clock in the morning. You're not going to get that, okay? A thief in the night, his operates on the element of surprise. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to be just like that like a thief in the night, but the Lord's people, other verses we can give you, should not be caught off guard concerning that. Now to get into what we want to talk to you about. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. Now he's going to tell you what's going to happen at the end of time here concerning this world in which we live. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Now you notice the word dissolved here. He used the word dissolved to capture everything he just said in the previous verse. Which was what? That the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. That's going to happen. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's going to happen. 
the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's going to happen. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What happens if something dissolved? Well, you know, we take a little medicine in a glass every now and then, drop it in like an alcohol seltzer or whatever, and it drops in whole. Give it enough time, it dissolves, doesn't it? It just disintegrates. It just disintegrates in the water. It dissolves. He says, seeing all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Now, those expression, looking for and hasting. The word hasting is an interesting word here. It means with e eager anticipation. Now, people got different ideas about the last day. You know, there's a conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and a woman named the name of Martha found in John chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Lazarus, her brother, has died. And Jesus has been four days getting there. And Martha said to the Lord, she said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. But even so now, I know that whatsoever thou ask of the Father, ask of God, that you shall receive it. The Lord replied by saying, Martha, thy brother shall rise again. She said, Lord, I know he will rise in the resurrection and the last day. Now, she says two things that are really that are important truths that you need to put in here and never forget. There is coming a last day. And in the last day, there will be a resurrection. Now, that's not what I want to talk to you about this morning. But the Lord did not change anything she said. He did not say, no, that's wrong, because he knew it was right. Now, how did Martha know those two important things? There's going to be a resurrection and a last day. She, knows two, she knew two things that many people in the world today never give thought of, do not know. How did she know that? The New Testament hadn't been written. So apparently she was familiar with the Old Testament because you can find those two truths contained in the Old Testament. And then maybe she'd heard the Lord Jesus Christ himself preach on several occasions, which that was declared from his lips. Maybe she had. She said, Lord, I know he shall live in the resurrection at the last day. And the Lord said, I am the resurrection and life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that believeth, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She says, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very interesting exchange here between the Lord and Martha. So we come here to 2 Peter chapter 3, and Peter rebukes the scoffers. And he proves without question that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You know why the Lord has not ended this world yet? I read it to you a while ago if you caught it. The reason the Lord has not ended this world today is because he's still got some of his children who have not yet made their interest in this world. And the Lord will not end this world. He will be long-suffering this world until the last heir promised, the last child of grace, is conceived and comes into this world and then experiences the new birth. And, after, and the Lord will be long-suffering in this. Later on, we're going to find where it says the long-suffering of God is salvation. Now, once the last child of grace, the last elect child of God's family, 
is born in this world and been born of the Spirit of God. From that perspective, there will be no need for the Lord to allow this earth to continue any longer. Now, he might, he may have another reason, another purpose for allowing it to do so, but that won't be one of them. That will not be one of them. But until that happens, that is one of them. And until that happens, this earth is going to continue on. The Lord displaying his great mercy and grace to the inhabitants of this planet. Now, Peter here brings to our attention some information about that last day. Now, what manner of persons ought you to be knowing this? Notice how he goes on to say this. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. The word hastening means with eager anticipation. Now, some people, when it comes to this last day, are very fearful of this last day. I'm not fearful of this last day. I'm looking forward to this last day. I'm looking forward and hasting unto the last day. Now, that word haste means just something like this. You've got a child who's gone off in the army, been gone for two years. You get a letter, or you used to get a letter. You don't get letters anymore. <laughs> but you get a notice. He's coming home. He's coming home on January the 28th. That's the day. And he's going to be flying in at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Where are you going to be? You're going to be at that airport at 4 o'clock this afternoon, aren't you? Eagerly awaiting and hasting until his return. You've got a child gone off to college. You're not used to that child not being at home. He's been gone now for three months. You know he's coming home. He's coming home on the bus. I doubt it, but anyway, we'll say he's coming home on the bus. So where, where are you going to be tomorrow at 3 p.m. when the Greyhound comes rolling in? You're going to be at the bus station, aren't you? You're going to be eagerly awaiting and anticipating his return whether it's from college, whether it's from the military, whatever it might be. And so we as God's children should be eagerly awaiting his return, his second coming. He's promised to come. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's not willing any should perish, and they will not. They're not a single person whom God loved, gave to the Son, the Son died for, redeemed by his precious blood, will be lost. Isn't that a wonderful point of truth and doctrine of grace? <laughs> Anyone to know and understand that all whom Jesus represented on the cross, when he died for, that he represented there, that he paid their sin debt, they, got, they will be with him in glory. He loved them. He redeemed them. He purchased them. He saved them by his grace. He reconciled them, justified them, redeemed them, and they'll be with him in glory some sweet day without loss of one. Now, I tell you what, I, uh, that's just too good to be true, but thank God it's true. Okay, yes, thank God it's true. So what manner of persons ought you to be? Well, Peter tells us here, he gives us a little hint, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the helmet shall melt with fervent heat. Repeats that. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, in harmony with his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Let's think about looking. When the Bible speaks about taking a look or looking, we're talking about an attitude. We're talking about an outlook. We're talking about a perspective. We're talking about something that controls our mind and controls our feelings and our hearts and controls our conduct and our lives here in this world. Child of God should have a different perspective than those who are not. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 just for a moment. 
In 2 Corinthians 4, actually about verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now I could draw a line right down the middle of a piece of paper here and have two columns. All right, you got two columns separated by a line right down the middle. And we're going to put some things on the left-hand side, and we can put some things on the right-hand side. Though the outward man over here perish, the inward man over here is renewed day by day. You know, there's one thing that's impossible for any of us to do. Well, there's more than one. But it's impossible for any of us to stop the deterioration of the body. It's impossible. I don't care how healthy you eat. I don't care how healthy you live. I don't care how much exercise you get. The body is going to deteriorate and decline and go down over time. You cannot stop that. But while that's happening, the inward man over here is being refreshed. The inward man is being strengthened. The inward man is being renewed. Though the outward man perish, notice the end result, perish. Though the inward man perish, the outward man perish, excuse me, the inward man is renewed day by day. All right? Now, we're to live day by day. Another thing is impossible for anybody to do. I don't care how poor you are, how rich you are, how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't make any difference who you are. Nobody can live two days at a time. Nobody. Somebody said, well, I'm just living a day at a time. Well, is there any other way? Tell me somebody doesn't live one day at a time. You know anybody that lives two days at a time? Now, I see people trying to add days to the present day that the Lord said not to do. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, sufficient for the evil is the day thereof. People let yesterday and tomorrow ruin today oftentimes. See, you, <laughs> you got enough on your plate today without borrowing down the road. All right? Nobody can live two days at a time. So it's important we have the proper perspective. That God's people are to walk by faith. Three times in the New Testament we are told that the just shall live by faith. All right? The outward man, the inward man, the perishing man, the renewed man... Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. He says, for we look not on things which are seen, but things which are not seen. He says, for our light affliction over here is but for a moment, and it worketh for us over here an eternal weight of glory. Now, he says our affliction is light. Now, you might say, well, Brother Lawrence, I've, I've had some afflictions I didn't think was too light. Well, we're talking about perspective. The Apostle Paul is looking at daily afflictions. That's the lot and common lot of all mankind. But even more so in the child of grace. Paul tells Timothy, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we tack that on just to the common afflictions of all mankind over here. All right? Though the outward man perish, every man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment. That moment might be for a little while, might be for a little longer while, but at most, it doesn't go beyond this lifetime. At most, it doesn't go beyond this lifetime. And what's a lifetime here compared to eternity? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it works for us, not against us. It works for us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Paul's looking at the daily trials and afflictions of life through the eternal values of heaven, 
of eternity. That's why you read in Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. For we look not on the things looking, for we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Now, you know, the unseen world that the Bible talks about is the only real world there is. <laughs> Everything else is fake. Everything else is, is not genuine, right? But see, this world that we see, we see it, we handle it, we touch it. It's just part of us, isn't it? But he says, we look not on things which are seen. That's not where you need to be looking. It's like Colossians 3.1. If therefore we've been risen with Christ, let us set our affection on things which are above. Where Christ sat at the right hand of God. That's where our affection needs to be. For we look not on the things which are seen. The things which are seen will deteriorate. The things which are seen are going to fade away. The things which are seen are going to just leave one day. They're going to be gone one day, all right? Look not on things which are seen, but things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen are eternal. You see the two lists? The comparison of the two lists right here? All right. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to read at least 16 different individuals from the Old Testament day. And these 16 individuals... Something said about every single one of them that displays some great act of faith. That's why Hebrews 12, 1 starts off like this. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What kind of witnesses? Great witnesses. So great of witnesses surround us. They compass us. They surround us. Seeing then we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us... Look unto Jesus Christ, the author and finish of our faith. Come back to that, Lord willing, a little later. So I look at these 16 people right here. What do they have in common? There's a thread that runs across, beginning over here in verse 10, verse 7, rather, with Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen. God warns Noah about something he's never seen. Noah's never seen a flood. Never, Noah's never seen a drop of water fall from the sky. But God tells him, I'm going to destroy this earth by a flood, and it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet seen, prepared an ark to the saving of his household. We come down a little bit further to Abraham. By faith, Abraham looked, looked for a city that had foundations, his builder and maker is God. That's not any earthly city. Not talking about, Abraham was not looking for an earthly city. Abraham was looking for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, whose foundation and builder and maker is God. Then he talks about Sarah. Then he comes to verses 13 and 14. And he's going to say something here that applies to everybody that he's already mentioned over here, which is Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. So in verse 13, he says, These all died in faith, having not received the promises, hadn't experienced them yet, but having seen them, here's that thread, but having seen them, what? Afar off, it says they embraced them and were, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed they were pilgrims and strangers here in this world. 
It says, they who say such things plainly declare they seek a country. Not talking about some country in existence in this world here. He wasn't looking for some country, you know, like you leave the United States to go to another country. He wasn't looking for a country like that. Wasn't looking for a city that could be seen with a natural eye. He says, he's all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off, says they were persuaded of them. Why were they persuaded? Because God made the promise. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody make a promise and you don't give uh, any credit to it at all? You know why? Because it, it wouldn't be the first promise he broke. He said broke too many promises in life. Too many times that person has promised, promised, promised and has not fulfilled. But that's not the same with God. <laughs> that's not true with God, is it? Being fully persuaded that he which hath promised, okay, that they that say such things confess they are pilgrims and strangers here and plainly declare they seek a country. He then talks about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Then we come to Moses. What does he, say? he says a lot of things about Moses. The one I want is this one. Verse 27. He says, Having fled Egypt, not fearing the king, seeing he endured as he saw him who was invisible. Moses saw somebody invisible, and by seeing that person that was invisible, that is the God of glory, Moses endured. Moses did not fear the wrath of the king. You know, Moses had to flee the land of Egypt one time because the king had made plans to take his life. But when Moses went back down to Egypt, he did not fear the wrath of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's how you endure. That's how I endure. That's how you endure, is we walk by faith, look at the things which are not seen, which are eternal, that we see him who is invisible. What manner of persons ought you to be? What manner of persons should you be? What manner of persons should I be, knowing what Peter has written here, that the day is coming when the heavens are going to pass away. They're going to melt with fervent heat. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth in all things therein, in all the works of the earth, all the things man is so proud of, he's done throughout the ages of time, all going to be totally destroyed, all going to be dissolved. So what manner of person should I be? I ought to recognize I'm a pilgrim and a stranger. I ought to recognize this world is not my home. I need to recognize there's something better in this life here uh, that, that I have. Now, I'm going to enjoy the things God has told me to enjoy, I love my family, I love my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. I, I, I love each one of you I trust from the depths of my heart and I treasure your fellowship and your friendship and uh, the benefit of being able to walk side by side and shoulder by shoulder with you along the journey of life. That's where the real blessings of life, the real comfort of life and the peace of life, that's where it all comes from, you see. That's what manner of persons should be me. Let's take a look at Titus 2, 11 through 14. In Titus chapter 2, we mentioned this just briefly a while ago. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. The grace of God. What brings salvation? Man's works? Man's, does he merit salvation? Does man's life bring salvation? Works bring salvation? What, what brings salvation? Well, Paul said the grace of God brings salvation. Did Paul say the grace of God offers salvation? <laughs> he 
He didn't say the grace of God offers salvation. The grace of God doesn't offer salvation. The grace of God brings salvation. If the grace of God don't bring salvation, there is no salvation. That's why you read in Psalms 111 verse 9. He hath commanded his covenant forever. He hath sent redemption. Therefore, holy and reverend is his name. God sent redemption because redemption couldn't be found on this earth. God sent redemption in the person of the Redeemer. Who's the Redeemer? The Lord Jesus Christ. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Therefore, he sent redemption. He sent the price of redemption. When you redeem something, you can't redeem it if you don't have enough to pay the price of the redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ was qualified to be the Redeemer. He was willing to be Redeemer. And thank God he came and fulfilled all the requirements of redemption and redeemed us, you see. So the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Now, this word appear, I want to work on it just a little bit. This word appear literally means an epiphany, a brightness. It's a very special word. It's a beautiful word used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared. Who does it appear to? All men. If all men means all men without exception, then I'm going to tell you hell will be empty and heaven will be overflowing. All men, every man, world, are terms of the Bible that very seldom have reference to whatever's under consideration without exception. All men does not mean all men without exception. It means all men without distinction. God's got a people among the Jews and the Gentiles. He's got a people among every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. And to every single one of them, sometime during their earthly experience, the grace of God will make an appearance. The grace of God will bring salvation into their hearts and souls. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. Now notice, why would he say present world? If there's not another world, why call this a present world? If he calls it a present world, that means there's another world. There's this world and a better world. This is present world. Galatians 1.4 says he has uh, redeemed us. Uh, given himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. The world we're living in is a present world and it's an evil world. But we have been delivered, thank God, legally speaking. And one day we're going to be taken off of this world because Peter tells me this world and the earth and all things and all the works therein shall be burned up. Shall be burned up. So the grace of God that brings salvation appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. The expression blessed hope, you know what that just simply represents? It represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope, the object of our hope, the, the ground of our hope. Colossians 1.27 says that Jesus is in our hearts. What is it? The Lord is in our heart, the hope of glory. Looking what kind of hope is it? It's a blessed hope, isn't it? What would you trade your hope for? What would you sell your hope for today? You know anything out in this world has got to offer that you'd exchange your hope for? That word hope means with earnest anticipation of the fulfillment of the promises of God. We're looking for that blessed hope. That's what kind of person I want to be. I'm looking for that blessed hope of the great God, notice this, the great God 
and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we're not talking about two here, talking about one. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, of the great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the word Savior here. He could have just said, of our great God in Jesus Christ. But he didn't say of our great God or the great God in Jesus Christ, but the great God and our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, he's a Savior, isn't he? A Savior somebody who saves. If he doesn't save, he's not a Savior. <laughs> That's why the angel said unto Joseph, Mary, uh, you know, concerning Mary, that he shall save his people from their sins. He was born a Savior, lived a Savior, died a Savior, buried a Savior, rose a Savior, in heaven as a Savior, come back a Savior. So we're looking for that blessed hope of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be looking. I want to dominate my mind, dominate my thinking. Dominate my heart, my feelings, my emotions. I, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of person that I want to be. Looking for that blessed hope of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we find the person of our salvation who gave himself for us. Here's the sacrifice of our salvation. Who hath redeemed us. Here's the price of our salvation. Hath redeemed us unto himself, a peculiar people. Somebody said, the old Baptists sure are peculiar. Well, they are. They say so peculiar sometimes it's, uh, it's not good. <laughs> but that word peculiar doesn't mean odd. Here, it doesn't mean odd. It doesn't mean out of the ordinary and all that kind of stuff. You ever heard somebody say, oh, so-and-so, oh, he's a peculiar fella, boy. He's a peculiar fella. Well, that's not the kind of peculiar I'm talking about. The word peculiar right here means purchased he has redeemed, him, uh, redeemed unto himself a peculiar slash purchased special people. Who hath redeemed of him a peculiar people, what? Zealous of good works. If you're a child of grace, you ought to display it by the zeal that's in your life. If you're not going to get happy in the Lord, I don't know what you're going to get happy in. If, you, <laughs> if you're not going to get excited about the Lord, I don't know what you're going to get excited in. You know, <laughs> it's, it's really sad but if you watch too many TV programs and somebody's going through a hard time, they always head to the bar for their salvation. <laughs> they always head to the bar and just pour that drink. That drink somehow makes all the sorrows go away. It makes them forget them for a little while and they sober up. They got more problems than before they got drunk. Brother, that's not where it's, that's not where it's at, is it? <laughs> that is not where it's at. The Lord's people should be a happy people, excited people, a zealous people, energetic people. There would be a people who just uh, uh, have a great desire in their own hearts to live in a manner and way that's pleasing in the sight of God. So Christ has redeemed us by his blood, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What kind of person do I want to be? I want to be a person that's looking. Let's look at it one more time right here. Second time the word appearance is used. Looking for the great God and appearance, the glorious appearance, <laughs> almost forgot that one, the glorious appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His appearance is going to be a glorious appearance, okay? Now, I'm, every time you read that word appear, it always refers to the second person of the Godhead, never the first person. Always the second person of the Godhead. And the Lord's people 
are blessed with several appearances of the Lord. If you turn over here to the book of um, Hebrews chapter 9, and look at verses 24, 26, and 28, you're going to find that word appear, appears three times. In verse 24, he says, For the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you know, he doesn't dwell in those things which are figures of the true, in the holy place with the figures of the true, but he now is in he's in heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. Where's Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's appearing in the presence of God. There's three appearances. This is appearance number two. He goes two, one, three. He's appearing in the presence of God for us. That's the same thing Paul says in Romans 8, 34, when he asks the question, who is he that condemneth? He's Christ that died, yea, rest, risen again, who's on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. What's he doing in the presence of God? He's making intercession for the saints of God. He's interceding for you, interceding for me. He then says in verse 26, for then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, now here's a world that has experienced an end. That word, word world here means age, A-G-E. Age, a period of time. Now he hath appeared once in the end of the world to make an offering, a sacrifice, one offer, one sacrifice by himself for the sins of God's people. That appearance took place 2,000 years ago. But he says, for it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. He says, now, as it appointed men once to die, but after this to judgment. So has so Christ made one offering for the sins of his people. And unto those that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? There's three appearances. The first appearance of Christ when he came here in body 2,000 years ago. He's in heaven now making intercession for us on the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's coming again at the last day. That's his third appearance. But I got news for you. There's, you've had more appearances with the Lord just than these three. When the Lord borns you the Spirit of God, it's called an appearance. Titus 3, 3 through 5. For we ourselves were sometimes, once were sometimes foolish, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in envy and malice, hateful and hating one another. But after this, the kindness of God our Savior toward man appeared. It did what it appeared. It manifests itself in our lives. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What about personal appearances of the Lord in your life? You ever had any? Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 31.3. He said, The Lord of old hath appeared unto me, saying, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I thought about that verse this morning. The Lord of old, that is the Lord of eternity, the Lord from everlasting to everlasting, hath appeared unto me, personally, individually, unto me. Hath appeared unto me. Saying, I've loved thee, I've loved thee, you, with an everlasting love. You know that God's love for you is personally, is individual? I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, because I've loved thee with an everlasting love, then with loving kindness have I drawn thee. <laughs> That's why you love the Lord. You've been drawn to the Lord. <laughs> 
The Lord has drawn you right into his bosom. The Lord has put his arms around you and said, you're mine. I love you. I'm gonna, I sent my son to die for you. I sent my son to save you. I'm going to send my son to get you and bring you home to glory someday because you belong to me. I love you. Y'all ready for another hour? I didn't get many amens on that. <laughs> what manner of persons are you to be? Well, let's look at this over here in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says, for our conversation, when the word conversation means citizenship, for our conversation is where? It's in heaven, that world. Our conversation is in heaven, from which we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall fashion our bodies, our vile bodies, like in his glorious body. You know why I'm looking for the Lord from heaven? Because the Lord said he was going to come back for me. I, I, you know, I have found in my experience in life that I can trust the Lord. I have found that out, haven't you? I have found I can trust the Lord. I can depend upon the Lord. He's never dropped me. He's never let me down. He's never forsook me. He's never left me. He's never abandoned me. I have found by experience that I can trust the Lord. In Acts chapter 1, there are some people standing outside a little town called Bethany. And they see this man all of a sudden start leaving the earth. They see him moving up. Picture it. They see him beginning to be lifted up. And he goes up and up and up and up and into the clouds. And there's an angel there and says, Why, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus you see going away shall in like manner come again. See, that's why I'm looking for him. In John 14, 1 and 2, the Lord Jesus Christ said the last words he spoke to his disciples before going to Calvary. He said, You believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am there, ye may be also. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, ye shall be also. You see why I'm looking for the Lord? He said, he's going to come back and get me. <laughs> That's why I'm looking for and hasting to the day of the Lord. According to his promise, we look for what? We look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Righteousness doth dwell on this earth. But my friends, there's a place called heaven represented by the new heaven and the new earth right here, wherein dwells righteousness, and I look forward to it. Somebody says, Brother Lawrence, can you tell me in just a few words? I don't know why people talk to me that way. I mean, if you tell me just a few words. Of course, my children, you know, growing up, said, Dad, we got a question, but we want the short answer. <laughs> we, we want the short answer. Well, there's just some questions you can't answer with a short one, but I'm going to give you one here. Can you tell me in just a few words, Brother Lawrence, 
what that other world is like. Now, I could tell you in a lot of words. Can you tell me, Brother Lawrence, what heaven is? I can tell you heaven is everything this world is not. I can tell you nothing will be in heaven. Okay? That you experience here on this earth contrary to the peace and happiness and holiness and righteousness of God. It will not be permitted to enter in. Heaven is what this world is not. Thank God we have heavenly places. Thank God we have a heavenly spot. And I believe this has been a heavenly spot for God's little children and for his saints since 1915. All the faces are all here tonight. Weren't here in 1915, were they? Faces have changed over time. It's still a refuge. It's still a sanctuary. It's still a place where the Lord's little children can gather together who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who, can, who have this look I've been talking about, who are looking for him to come again, who are looking for him to come from heaven, who looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. That verse in Hebrews 12 too, we will close with that one. Looking unto Jesus, who's the author of our faith, he's the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What kind of joy could Jesus be looking at that he'd be willing to go through all the pain and all the suffering and all the sorrow, all the things that were said about him, all, all the afflictions that he went through in this life? Why would he be willing to endure all of that? Because there's joy and joy, my friends, in knowing that what he was going to accomplish one day would enable him to come again and gather his bride and his children and take them home to be with him in glory. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. What manner of persons ought you to be? We ought to be the most thankful people upon the face of this earth. I'd say that. The most thankful people on this earth to know that, understand that, anticipate that looking for the Lord. You know, we're closer to that day than we've ever been. You know that, right? No one's ever been closer to the end of time than we are today. No one's ever been closer to seeing the Lord pierce the eastern sky, my friends, with his glorious appearance than you are today. And one day, could be today, one day, it's going to happen.